Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey friends, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast for episode number 31. And I'm going to keep this intro pretty short and sweet because as a typical multi-passionate type 7, there are 80,000 things that I want to do right now, but I really want to bring you this episode, so I am at least sitting down to record this intro and get it out to your ears. Um, Some of the things I've been up to recently, I spent a few days over last weekend in Louisiana. Uh, I think I mentioned this on the last episode. I was headed to a gathering of uh, druids, earth-centered, spiritual folks, and you can listen to episode 11 with Rebecca Trinidad to hear us geek out a little bit about that. I think I'll probably have another druid friend on soon because he's also just an incredible person with so much great stuff to share. So that was a really lovely experience and one of the talks that they had at the weekend with our new um, person who's going to be taking over the organization. She lives in Ireland and has grown up her whole life in Ireland and she was talking about the ancient tree laws of Ireland and they they were very strict about protecting the trees. This is before the British um, kind of invasion came in and all the laws changed. But so, for instance, like the the fine that you had to pay, like three cows plus a heifer um, or whatever it was, the fine you had to pay depended on the damage, the level of damage that you did to the tree. So did you cut off a trunk? Did you cut it all the way to the base? Um, Because these trees were so incredibly valuable for taking care of the community. So it was a big freaking deal to do damage to one unnecessarily. And I don't know, I share that just because I think about uh, how cool it would be if we had laws like that today. And I, you know, yes, we have things like the EPA, and in theory, there are regulations to protect our natural resources. But guys, at the risk of going on a political rant, there's not much of an EPA right now. So um, I, as much as I don't necessarily talk directly about politics here. I, in studying eco-psychology right now, I am a believer that you can't be politically neutral on some of these topics. The ecological crisis is so tied to the crisis of human suffering, psychologically, physically, um, and so we just really can't be neutral on some of these things. It doesn't mean we have to always endorse a particular candidate or party, but that it's important to not just say like, oh, well, you know, those things are separate, so we don't talk about that here. It's like, mm, no, they are um, intricately interconnected and we have to talk about things even that are unpleasant and difficult. So that tangent aside, it was a lovely weekend and 
Um, yeah, I'm just working on a new website, working on launching my um, coaching business, which is super exciting. I haven't really said much about it here. I've sort of like low-key had coaching as a part of my primary website, but now um, as part of really following best practices um, in protecting my clinical license, I'm separating those things out. So I've been having a lot of fun building my website. I can't wait to share it with you guys soon. Oh, and one more thing that I want to mention, if you happen to be listening to this episode right as it is airing, and you happen to be local to Nashville, I will be teaching this Sunday, March 31st at Inner Light Yoga. This Sunday is the International Day of Trans Visibility, and we are doing a donation class. All proceeds will go to the Tennessee Equality Project, and I'll have some kick-ass tunes on the playlist all about acceptance and unconditional love i am super excited and grateful to be able to stand in allyship with my trans brothers sisters and cousins so if you're around and local come check it out and if not then hopefully you'll find some other way to honor trans folks this sunday all right so without further ado let's get into this episode with travis cooper So Travis is participating right now. He goes to the yoga studio where I teach, and he's participating in our yoga school, our teacher training that I got to teach the yoga philosophy component of. And he is one of those people, the word infectious, like, is kind of weird. Would that fall in the same category as, like, moist? I don't know. It's maybe not as gross. But it does, it's like, oh, I want to say something really positive, but I'm like, Oh, it's infectious. Anyway, another tangent. Um, he His energy is like you're around him and you're just like, can I be your friend? I want to be your friend. And especially seeing some of the things that he shared and just seeing him really come alive in the teacher training, I was like, I have to have Travis on the podcast. So a little bit more about him. Travis is a choreographer, dance educator, and lover of movement based in Nashville, Tennessee. Dance is often the medium he uses to connect and empower the people around him. He believes that one of the best ways you can honor yourself and the world around you is by living authentically. Could not have said that more beautifully. Thank you, Travis. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I know you will. And make sure to check out the show notes at wonderwelltherapy.com. You'll find it in the podcast section. And Travis, you can find on Instagram at TravDCoop. That is T-R-A-V-D-E-C-O-O-P. That will be in the show notes. And enjoy the episode. I will say, I said this before we started recording, it just feels so good in this space you've created to land here. I feel like I actually could land because before I walked in, I was a bit nervous. I was like, my life feels so ping-pongy and there's just so many moving pieces right now and I have to go sit down and try to gather my thoughts. And then I walked in and I was like, I got this, I got this. But about those things, oh man, there's so many things right now. I think with sharing dance. Um, I'm a dance teacher and choreographer and I think with having a passion for that and wanting to get that out to as many people as possible and then having the opportunity to do so, I still try to figure out when it is time to say no. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because, you know, once I get in the space, it's like heaven. You know, I love what I'm doing. I love even the challenge of certain students or certain atmospheres. I enjoy that. 
but I'm still trying to figure out when is that moment that I have to say no. And so because I don't always know when that is, um, I find myself doing a lot and trying to maintain all of it and like fully invest and be present with it all. Mm-hmm. I've learned that's really, really freaking exhausting. Yeah. It's more exhausting than I think it was before I realized what it was to be fully present. Yeah. And uh, so I think with all the dance stuff, you know, those are some pieces. And then my relationships are shifting and changing. And it comes out of being vulnerable and being honest and choosing to walk through the hard shit. Mm-hmm. But I think there are more layers to it when you allow yourself to see the layers, you know. Um, and so with relationships and then with my own just self-care if you will just taking care of myself and how that looks and how that shifts and that changes depending on what I need in life at that moment so I think with all those pieces my life feels crazy right now (laughs) in like insane right now so it feels good to honestly talk about it right now it feels really lovely um to step away from it and not be right in it Mm -hmm. um that's a really powerful tool and I think this moment is a good moment for that so thank you again for having me Yeah, and I I love the way that you describe that. It was just like you could kind of feel, I could feel like stepping into what that is like for you. And I think, and that willingness to to step back and reflect and describe and figure out what our experience is rather than just being like, oh, I'm so busy. Totally. I'm so busy. (laughs) That's not helpful, Mm, right? mm. But being able to step back and go like, oh, wait. I found that place where things were working and then some things changed and now I think I have to find it again. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It's always in constant motion. And that is something that I'm still learning is okay. Because I want to grab a hold of it and say, this is what it is. It's working right now. Stay. And then life's (laughs) like, hell no, dude. No, no, no. It's moving and moving again. So I'm just trying to learn to be okay with it being constantly in motion. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things too, like, just this moment that I want to share. So I'm in the intro, you know, I'll I'll talk about um, how you're doing teacher training right now. And so getting to see you in your element of like full embodiment when you were doing the sort of role play thing with um, surrender Mm. and showing like, here's what, here's what it looks like to resist your, your environment, your experiences, your reality, mm-hmm. and here's what it looks like to lean into what's happening mm-hmm. and to just be with what is. And seeing how you physically embodied that, I mean, it's just cl- clear that you've you've studied the human body and lived that. And that was the moment I was like, oh, he's coming on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, dude, for me, um, movement has been such a huge part of my life since I was honestly since I can remember yeah um but I think I took a hold of it and said I want more and started investing um around high school Mm -hmm. um so yeah as soon as that exercise came up I was like oh I want to move I want to move I know I can feel this you know through my body better than I could even say this Totally. So what did that first look like in high school when you decided, like, I think I want to do something with dance or with Mm. movement? Yeah. Um, For me, it looked like first using my cousins as little guinea pigs for my (laughs) choreography. Um, Before I knew I really wanted to dance or loved choreographing, I would choreograph dances on my cousins. (laughs) And uh, 
It was once I was in high school and at a performing arts high school that I was exposed to dance and honestly seeing people who looked like me dance. Mm. Like there's this one black guy that I remember going, whoa, guys can look like this and dance like this and black guys can do this too. Mm. It was this moment of like, oh my God, I can do this. And so it was after seeing him that I, I was a sophomore in high school that I decided I wanted to do it. And uh, literally never looked back. My grades even went to shit in high school <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God, I found my thing. Fuck everything else. Right. So, yeah, it was that moment. It's worked out okay for you. It's worked out great, honestly, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so then at that point, did you sort of gravitate toward, like, formal learning with different mm. styles? Or what did your path kind of look like with that? Yeah, I think very, very formal at mm-hmm. first. At first, Um I think after seeing, I was really drawn towards the technical aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Um, Like foundational training of modern and jazz and ballet was how I first found dance. And so I jumped in head first and started training my butt off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cool. Yeah, it's, I feel like I am drawn to like embodiment practices Mm -hmm. and Yet I I resist rules in some in some ways it's like I'm a rule follower like I won't cross the street unless the little walking man is up there <laughs> but uh, and I won't park where I'm not supposed to park and mm. all those weird things but then in other ways like I'm just like I don't want there to be rules around this and I mm. totally appreciate like when I see people you know like you or other people who are classically trained like I appreciate that there's so much that you can do and tune and and all of that that I can't do without that background. But I've always resisted that. Like I've never wanted, even yoga teacher training, I resisted for a long time and then I sort of um, came around to it. But yeah, it's I have interest in it, but more often than not, I'm just like the person at the wedding dance floor who's just like, interpretive dancing yes, the whole time. Girl, I love yeah. you at the parties. I love you. <laughs> yeah. So so what is it like cuz you do seem like a free spirit kind of guy. So what's it like for you to kind of have had that sort of formal I I might even use the word rigid sort mm-hmm, of training mm-hmm. and blending that with your personality. Oh wow. That's a great question. Um honestly, I Okay, so I think I wanted the formal training because I felt like at that point in life, that's the only way I saw dance. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of freedom and, you know, expression without those rigid kind of boundaries and rules in dance. So that's the way I approached it. Now, the further I got into it, I recognized, I learned through improvisation, classes and whatnot, oh, there's this part as well. Mm -hmm. And I resisted that at first because I thought that the way to make it in dance was to have the structure. And what's interesting is now in my life, I'm not as interested in the structure. I'm not. I think there's something beautiful and I believe that you can express um, with more depth Mm -hmm. sometimes when you have those foundational pieces to hold you right? Because of the strength and the structure that it takes to know the body, I think it's helpful. But I also think there's this freedom in not having these rules that I think for me are what I teach my classes based off of most of the time. And it gives people this freedom to be where they are and who they are. And I find that it like cracks open this part of themselves Mm. that 
the rules can't quite get to. And so I started off with that kind of rigid structure because that's all that I knew. But once I found the other side, it blended with my personality so much more. Mm-hmm. Ask anyone who takes my classes. They're yeah. like, oh my God, it's, he you know, gives you this freedom to be where you are. And I felt myself opening up. And I think I offer that because it's, it's what I've always wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I give that to other people now, I feel like. Cool. Yeah. I'm like, uh-oh, I might need to take a dance Girl, class. Girl, honestly, come <laughs> through. Please yeah, come through. Seriously. So the education part of it, was that just sort of like a natural piece where you're like, not you know, I want to dance, I want to do this choreography, but I want to teach other people? Mm. Like, or did that come at a certain point later, or was that from the beginning you sort of wanted to blend that in? That came in hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I started teaching my cousins yeah. choreography before I even started taking dance classes. And it was once I started taking dance classes that I also was offered the opportunity to be a part of a choreography program in mm-hmm. the school. And they've always felt like they fit side by side for me. Teaching and dancing, I think teaching in general, I think I naturally enjoy I'll say being a leader loosely, it's more so like facilitating a space um, than I care, that I care about more than being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Teacher sounds a little too like I'm above you to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think just naturally they've always gone hand in hand for me. Yeah, and I wonder too, like I'm so intrigued by artists of all kinds who use their art for activism or some kind of social purpose like Mm. it's you know it doesn't always have to be that it can be dance for the sake of just dance right it can just be something that's beautiful and alive um so it doesn't have to be that there's always this like you know deeper um social justice thing but i am curious if that's something that you've ever blended into your work Mm. Mm. yeah um I would say I first dipped my hand in in letting my art speak from something like much deeper and things going on in the world a few years ago when I had the opportunity to be director of a youth dance company. And we, while I was director, we had two major shows that we'd spend the entire season working on and then presenting to the public. And the first one was about what life looks like when giving nurturing and love from a young age and what it looks like when you don't have that. Wow. And it was called A World With or Without. Mm. Um, and these are students that were, kids were literally 12 to 18. And um, the second show was about gender inequality and gender norming. Mm. And what I would do with these shows is, on oh, the second show was called Pink and Blue. And what I would do with these shows is I would sit down and talk to these kids and let them speak openly, honestly, vulnerably about their issues around these topics. And I would create the show based on their actual life experiences. So I would thread together their stories to create one big story, basically. And that was the first time that I recognized that um, dance to me is much more than movement. And there's something deeper that I wanted to share, but I hadn't had the space where someone said, here's the freedom, do what you want. So I could then actually dig that deep. And now what's interesting is I'll lightly speak on there's some new opportunities coming my way where I think I'll be able to use movement and social justice um, in a way that I wasn't expecting, but heard about and immediately was just fired up. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and it does seem like, you know, we are at this interesting place in history uh, where more, I think more people are considering themselves to be activists, even if they're, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it might have been like, oh, well, you're an activist if you, like, work part-time for uh, some kind of environmental Mm -hmm. organization or, you know, you do canvassing for voters. But now there's, it feels like, you know, because of the internet and social media and all these things, like, I get it that we can sometimes do the whole slacktivism, like, oh, I'm posting and isn't that enough? Right. But it does open up so many ways to be an activist, Mm. to use just your natural talents and interests and all of that to do that. So... Those shows sound amazing, and I cannot wait to hear what the next thing is going to be. <laughs> Stay awesome. tuned. Yeah. <laughs> so you also mentioned that you're at a little bit of a crossroads with kind of mm. how you want to move forward in that world and and how it's intersecting with who you are. Mm. So I'm whatever you want to say about that, whatever yeah. you're comfortable sharing, we totally. to hear it. Yeah, Um I think what it has boiled down to, because I've done a lot of work around this, um, because this is such a big part of my life, movement and teaching, I want to make sure before I make any decision that I have looked at all sides and most importantly have given it all time. Because mm-hmm. I like to rush things and go, okay, I think I know enough, let's go with that and let's make a decision. And so I've been really patient and really done a lot of self-inventory and looking around myself and seeing what's working and what's not working and I think what it's come what it's come down to is a lot of the spaces that I work in um, it's often about how you are perceived by the outside Hmm. whether that be a judge whether that be another studio whether that be a parent to the teachers Um, and there's not a lot of work that asks the students what's happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's what it's about now. <laughs> it's, it's For me, it's let's start on the inside mm-hmm. and then we'll figure out what's happening on the outside. But let's ask questions in here first. And I find that a lot of the spaces that I work for and just a lot of the exposure that I've had to dance for such a long time doesn't ask those questions that are so vital now for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having to pick and choose now where I place my energy because you know what I love as a career, if you will, is now sometimes not matching up with who I am as a person and deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm sometimes battling myself. Yeah. And I'm not really down for that anymore. I'm not really down for that. And it's taken me a long time and a lot of work to recognize it, but I think it's it's time for me to make a shift so that I feel more synchronicity mm-hmm. in my life as a whole. Yeah. And so like like the sort of when our when our different values are in conflict of like authenticity and success, you know, it's like that you have the skill, you have the mm the training you have the chops to do this thing Mm. but if in doing this thing you know that you're not going to be able to stay true to to yourself and your perspective Mm. that's a hard call to make totally when you could see like oh yeah i could go down this path and i could you know 
whatever it is. I, I don't know what the, the measurements are in the dance world or <laughs> like what the metrics are that people are wanting to get, but like get this show and get this, mm. you know, teaching gig, but at what cost? Totally. Totally. That's how I feel now. And for me, it's not, I honestly have faith now that the gigs will come. Mm. I'm not worried about that stuff anymore. I think once I released having to get somewhere to look like something, to be someone, and it became more about what it feels like in the experience, I stopped worrying about getting the thing. And so now I don't think my focus is on that anymore. Therefore, the things that really matter to me are starting to really surface. And it's just important that they don't get, I don't know, washed down Yeah. by the career and getting the job or whatever else. Right. Totally. Um, yeah. And I mean, are there aspects I'm curious about, like, what are the things like you mentioned kind of the how you're perceived on the outside? What are the things mm-hmm. that you, you're noticing don't feel good mm. that you're kind of uh, coming up against? Um, I think one being I feel in a lot of these spaces um that it's usually, and I will say, I'll say this loosely, mm-hmm. um, it seems to me that people are usually more concerned with um, winning, because mm-hmm. I do a lot of work for dance competitions. Okay, For competitive gotcha. dance kids. Yeah. And there's a lot of wanting to win so that the studio then looks a certain way, so that they then get more enrollment. Like, I mm-hmm. get it from a business standpoint. Um but for me, it's still coming up against yeah. me, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. uh, my truest self. And and then there's also for me, there seems to be this. I, I believe kids have just as important of a voice as we do. Mm-hmm. And there seems to often be. Um, I feel like the kids don't get listened to as much. I feel like that they it feels like, you know, as a teacher, often get in the studio, make the kids get this so that we can make them look this way and that this thing can happen so we can look this way on the outside to other people. And for me, it's, I just feel like their voice is getting lost. Mm -hmm. And for me, I want to hear them. You know, I ask any of my kids, I do this thing called circle time with them um, at least once a month. We sit down and go, how you doing? (laughs) Just simply that, because I think it's important. And I feel like that's one thing that's missing right now is, their voice is not important, just their abilities are important. Okay, yeah. That's you know what rough. I mean? Right. It's like, you know, I want, we're going to spend our time focused on what your bodies are going to do rather than like the humans mm-hmm. that are in the body. Right. And what's interesting is I find that sitting down and talking to them for 15 minutes, most of the time, completely changes their dancing. I bet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. having them be able to open up or give them the space to be human actually shifts how they move their bodies completely. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. And I think we forget sometimes that, yes, there's this goal I'm trying to get them to physically, that that's not the only way in. Mm-hmm. Or to get the thing that you're trying to get is not only through the physical. Right. I think it's a balance. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it, there's no balance right now. There's like a very much, it's very heavy on one side in most of the places that I work at. Yeah. Is, yeah. 
Yeah. So interesting, too, because I'm thinking about like the sort of body mind split mm. and how in a lot of fields, it's the body is what it's ignored. Totally. Right. And yes. so then it's like we're all living in our heads and cut off from the neck down. And in which totally makes sense, like in other fields uh, like dance, it's the the person, the spirit can be sort of pushed aside and we're mm. just focusing on the body and what yes, it can do. Yes, yes. So that makes a lot of sense. It also makes me think of the concept of like um, alignment and how we can work really, really, really hard or we can get in a space of alignment first and then we can maybe achieve the same results without having to work nearly as hard. Totally, totally yeah. agree with that. I found that just in myself, Mm -hmm. in myself. Um, I'm so glad that I'm doing yoga school right now when I'm focused on achieving alignment in my life daily. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like if I wasn't, I wouldn't be able to take away as much. I feel like I would be so hard on myself because I would be just not aligned, you know? And so... Um, I think that's so important. I think we can accomplish so much more when we come from that place of alignment. Um, And I'm feeling that in my everyday life. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your spiritual background, Mm. kind of where it started and then where it's winding to now. (laughs) Woof. (laughs) What a story. Um, Like so many people I know, I started off Baptist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Southern Baptist. Bible Belt. Um, Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. And... um, (laughs) God was the thing, dude. You know, Mm -hmm. Christianity was the thing. And I was very much on that path and committed to that path um, while I was a youngin, all the way through being a teenager. And I think it was more so that I wanted community and it's what was the norm in my neighborhood, in my family, and in most communities, it was the norm, and I wanted to be a part of that, you know? So I don't know that I ever fully felt and believed a lot of it. I just know that I wanted to be a part. And um, it was actually once I came out um, that I felt like religion did not hold me anymore. I felt like religion wasn't there for me anymore. Um, I felt very much abandoned by religion. And what I had come to learn was this all-encompassing God, like suddenly wasn't there, according to the people who taught me these things, you know? So there was a huge shift right then. I dropped religion. I dropped the idea of God. I dropped anything spiritual. And I I Mm white-knuckled life for probably, that was at 16, I probably white knuckled my life until about 25 was the first time that I was like, things aren't working. (laughs) I feel so alone. I feel like I'm being thrown around by life. There has to be more than this. And it was actually um, from me picking up the four agreements at 25 years old that I was like, oh my God, there's more. I'm not alone. I'm okay. I can actually make it. Um, And I'd say from 25 up until about 29, 30, there was this gradual building and like unpacking of religion and spirituality and putting in what I really wanted um, until around 29, 
almost 30, I was like, I think I am good. I think I figured this out. Mm -hmm. And figuring it out doesn't mean that um, it all makes sense to me. Um, it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean that spirituality looks like one thing to me. It sometimes changes daily. Mm-hmm. For me, it's knowing that I am not the greatest force in this life. It's just knowing there's something bigger than me, and that I can surrender, and I'm still gonna be okay. Yeah. And that's sometimes all it is for me. And so, yeah, now for me, it looks like meditation. It looks like nature. Some days it looks like this conversation some days it looks like yoga some day it looks like so many different things and i think it's just as long as i'm open to something bigger than me um i usually can find what thing it manifests in Mm -hmm. that moment and that could change from moment to moment you know so yeah it's up in the air right now in so many ways but also i feel so grounded in a lot of the times too even though it changes so often I feel like okay with it because I think I'm open to the change mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to hold on to like a doctrine or just something that's just so rigid. Yeah. And I think because of that, there's space for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making room for uncertainty and ambiguity mm-hmm. and it's our unwillingness to do that and latching on to these things that are these rigid doctrines that... Mm-hmm ends up usually getting us in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when we can learn to just be with whatever's showing up and have that perspective, um, there's so much freedom in that. Mm-hmm. And then being okay with the fact that we don't have to have the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay to seek, right? It's totally. that we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just be like, <laughs> ah, it's all shit. Yeah, it's all pointless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of of really cool things out there. I know you mentioned um, like uh, Eckhart Tolle and mm. there's, yeah, there's just coming across these these voices and ideas <clears throat> and teachings that just speak to you at that soul level is, oh, it so, feels so good yeah. when things like that happen. Totally, totally. Yeah. Mm. So music, as a dancer, mm. I'm sure that music is one of those things that also speaks to your soul. Yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned a couple of artists uh, to me that you, you really love. So I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what is it about particular music that really speaks to you? Mm. Um, so I am a heart guy through and through and through. So lyrics that I feel... Um, grab me Mm -hmm. oh usually for me it's it can be a song that oh i'm not listening at all i don't hear anything and then the moment that i hear something that strikes my heart i tune in and i'm captured Mm -hmm. um so for me it's usually about the lyrics and i love people who for me when i hear their music i feel like i hear their heart yeah. That's so important to me. You know, I love a good like pop song that I can just bob to. You know, that's great. I love that. <laughs> but the things that hold on that I keep coming back to, that I find myself crying to cuz I'm such a sappy man. Enneagram 4. <laughs> Enneagram 4, <laughs> let me tell you. Um yeah, it's stuff like that that I always come back to and John Bellion is one of those artists for me. Um if you don't know him, what I love about him is that he he speaks so honestly about his place hmm. in the music industry cool. and about the fact that he 
his place is, or his job in this is just to share what he's always loved, and that's music. And the pedestal we put him on is not up to him to um, stay on to be to fulfill us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's willing to go into hiding for years at a time. Because he's not doing it for us in that way. He's doing it because he loves it so much. Cool. And for me, I relate to that. I, you know, in my art, I want to do it because I love, not because you expect me to do something mm-hmm. or to produce something. And and then India Ari is one for me. And then Jason Mraz. Like I say, cool. those three for me yeah. just speak to me on a heart and spirit level. They remind me that I am more than this physical body and this mind and even this heart like they remind me of so many pieces i have a morning inspiration playlist that's just those three artists and Mm. that's it and is that public yes oh i'll put it in the show notes awesome yeah 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 it's on spotify Mm -hmm. um it's called morning inspiration and yeah for me it's just artists that i feel are vulnerable because vulnerability is a huge practice of mine um and that are willing to get into the nitty gritty stuff that people maybe don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah. I'm right there with you on lyrics, like just the ones that like pierce your heart. Mm. And, and I'm not a four, but um, but I yeah, it, it's funny too because I've heard in um, one of the Enneagram podcasts that I listen to, they talk about the, the one of the hosts. He's a four, but his son is a seven. So he'll always kind of compare because it's like the four is like, "I'll oh, bring the pain. I <laughs> want to feel it all," and the seven's like, "No thanks, bye." But but he said this about his son, and it's true for me too that there are there are areas where it's like, "Oh, it's safe for me to feel this, mm. right?" Like I can dip into this pain because I I sort of feel in control of it. I'm like, I know what I'm getting into when I listen to Death Cab, when I listen to <laughs> this particular song. Uh, mm. But yeah. There's it. Oh, again, that just like visceral feeling yes. when you hear something that speaks to you that deeply. It's mm. it's awesome. Um, cool. So, other. Let me think. What was I going to ask you about the the Buddhist community stuff? Mm. So I know that there's you know you're not latching onto like I am Buddhist and this is the only thing that I do. But how does that? How do you sort of see that as something that can? that you can dip into without having to say that like I'm all in 100% and this is my mm, only thing. Yeah. Um, so something I love about the Buddhist teaching is the invitation to look within for yourself and based on that, you figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I just love that it's not this thing that's so laid out that it's only one way to do, but instead you just get to look for yourself. And I think for me as someone who didn't know what to do with spirituality and religion for a long time, for you to just give me the invitation to figure it out myself, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm on board. And and yeah, I think what, I, what I'm starting to learn about it is there's so much depth to it. Um that as long as I'm willing to continue to look um, and to sit down with my pain and to look it in the face and and sometimes not know or not having to fix, then there's so much that I can continue to learn and grow from. And I love that there is no end goal for me. You know, I think for me, I think awakening is, is this not this destination. Mm-hmm. I think it's just something that there's little moments of awakening, I think, that happen every day. I don't yeah. think it's this like stagnant thing that we have to get to. I think yeah. it's always available to us. And I love that about 
the Buddhist teachings. And yeah. so I think it just, it fits in so snug with my life right now because I get this freedom right now mm-hmm. that I feel like I want right now without having to feel tied down because I think I'm still a bit burned from mm-hmm. feeling tied down to something that has to look one way. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I've heard a, a lot of people describe Buddhism as not like, I guess you can look at it as a religion, but many people, um, including, you know, I think some people who are very into it mm. are consider it more a life philosophy because mm. there's not like a, oh, you have to believe these particular things and follow this particular um, exact way of living. Totally. So, totally. I agree. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned the like moments, like maybe that it's not about this one big enlightenment thing, but these glimpses um, and being able to access that more frequently in our day-to-day life uh, made me think of um, TM. And you'd asked me about mm. transcendental meditation and I was just kind of smiling because um, in the, the teaching process of it, um, the, the teacher should be like, oh, yeah, well, and when you reach enlightenment, da, 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 just kind of like saying it like it's, oh, then when you reach enlightenment, this happens. And, you know, people said that I'm just like, well, well hold on. Exactly <laughs> how many people have you talked to who've reached enlightenment? Right, right, right. Um, and I can't remember if I asked it that exact way, but... Um, and I think I just assumed that this teacher was enlightened because the way mm. that she was sort of like just talking about it like it was no big deal. Yeah. Um, and I knew she'd been practicing for like 20 or 30 years. But I did ask. And she's like, oh, no, I'm not enlightened. But, but she, you know, she's like, but I don't have any problem with it. I was like, <laughs> 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 it was just so funny. Mm. But, yeah, so I maybe there are people who you know, do a meditation practice because that's their goal. But I think for a lot of us, like, we just want to feel a little less uh, chaotic or yeah. fragmented. Totally. And if if that's a path to be able to access stillness and center and wholeness, then sign me up, right? For sure, for sure. Um, for me, it's sometimes just enough to have a few seconds Mm -hmm. out of my mind and that's enough sometimes and I think that like that's why you know meditation is important to me because just a few moments of stillness is all I sometimes need totally (laughs) right and that goes back to that idea of like informal mindfulness versus formal that um yes formal mindfulness practices like meditation can be incredibly valuable, but sometimes informal mindfulness, like I'm just going to pause and I'm going to take three big breaths right now. That is enough sometimes, Mm. right? Yeah. I actually had this moment of reflection. I think it was today or yesterday where I very clearly could feel how I felt in the past before I started practicing mindfulness. Mm the stress and uh, the feeling of feeling overwhelmed and not knowing how to deal with it, the feelings as a four of feeling like I am, I am my emotions and feeling them so deeply and so heavily. And it, I immediately felt this sense of gratitude mm. just for knowing that I don't have to suffer as much, yeah. that I can just pause and that be enough sometimes so I don't know it was a really cool moment where I could I could literally feel it 
I could feel the feelings in my chest, mm-hmm. down to my fingertips and my toes of what it felt like to be in those moments of feeling trapped by my own body mm-hmm. and just feeling grateful that I don't have to feel that way. Yeah. Wow. You know another way. Now. Yeah. There's another way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm, I think a lot about and I'm just, I'm fascinated by human behavior and behavior change and habits and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, reading Atomic Habits by this guy, James, James Clear. Highly recommend. It's a great book. Um, the audiobook version is, is awesome. And he, he talks about the importance of if you really want to do something, you've got to start. It has to be an identity level thing, mm. right? It's got to be something that like what shifted for me as someone who meditated uh, very sporadically, very inconsistently over the years to now I literally haven't missed one meditation doing my two 20-minute meditations a day for TM since I started in early December. And I'm like, I'm never, I just, I'm like, how is this happening? I'm not mm. a consistent person like that. But I really think in reading this book, that's what helped me to see it is like, oh, like in doing that training, it was like, it wasn't necessarily even the training itself, but it was doing that. I was, I became a person who meditates. And so now, since I'm like, no, that's who I am. I'm a person who meditates every day. Now that it's this identity level thing, I don't question it. And it's mm. the same thing, I think, when, when I finally was able to make the shift um, with, like, being vegan was after all these failed attempts at even being vegetarian or pescatarian, it became an identity level thing. Yes. And that's so cool. I mean, yes, we have to be a very selective with how we want to shape our identity because we can shape our identity in some pretty fucked up ways <laughs> but um but there's something that just really uh that that helped me to to articulate more like what it is that's helping me stick with some of these things and then how we can apply that in other ways mm. i love that um I like it because I'm starting to see that happen in my own life. There's a lot of things that I have wanted for my life, but they don't normally stick. Mm -hmm. They won't stick. And it wasn't until I found the right fit that was for me that the thing is like the top layer, but it's hitting something really deep within me. Mm -hmm. And so maintaining that top layer became a lot easier because I wasn't just trying to get there without anything rooted into myself. Yeah. And so once I found that, like, oh, this is actually pretty easy. Yeah. Like even honestly you with the vegan thing, it wasn't until you started speaking about like meta practice. Mm. I was like, I went home and the first time I did meta practice, all I could see was the animals. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I see this. I I can see this for myself now because it's something that is down to identity level. That's so major. And I think that's so cool. And I think it's just really powerful, powerful for us to think about when trying to make these changes. Totally. We don't have to force them. It has to be something that's already that's rooted in us that speaks to something that's already deep within us yeah. I think yeah absolutely and that requires like having done some of the work mm. of of clarifying what your values really are like what mm. what is it that I want to stand for and and I think it's a hard question because we only have so much as one individual human we only have so much time energy you know these finite resources um, and so 
I can't, I feel like I can't stand for everything. Mm. But even if I say, well, I want to stand for justice. Okay, well, I can't do that in all of the ways. So is my, is my energy and time better spent like going deep with one thing or spreading it out? And, and that's not a question that I need to have an answer to, but it's just one that I'm continuously living into is, mm. like you said, I think the things that we do when we can embed them in ourselves and our values, um, they're a lot more likely to stick. They're a lot more likely to make an impact. Mm. Yeah. And then I immediately going back to my shift in my career. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I'm going to find more value, even, even in what I do, when I start aligning the things that I'm doing with the root of myself. Yeah. You know? And so, I don't know, that just gave me a little bit, of like, a confidence cool. in, in, the, in what I'm choosing right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank awesome. you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So, Travis, what is the fucking point. OMG. <laughs> it's like, I need a sip of tea for I this one. I need a sip one. of tea, girl. Ah, <laughs> uh, what is the fucking point? Dude. To be here. <laughs> to be here. Um, and for me, it's being grounded enough and being available enough to enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to be grounded enough, though, to truly be available enough for the ride. Um, and that's the fucking point for me. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, what it is to be grounded changes sometimes from moment to moment. But if I'm available, then I can ride that wave and how things shift and change yeah. um, in what keeps me grounded and just in the madness of my life. I can be available. You know, um, so yeah, I think that's the fucking point. I love that. I'm like, I'm gonna write that one down and put that in my like daily readings to be grounded enough and available enough to enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just gonna let that soak in. <laughs> cool. So, anything else you want to share with us before we wrap it up? Ah, uh, I don't think so. But thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Letting me share my little slice of life with you. So awesome. So awesome. Yeah, I just love getting to hear your perspective of someone who is in the world in such an embodied way. Mm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you can find the show notes and past episodes over at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. So any links, resources mentioned in the episode, information about guests, all of that good stuff you can find right over there. Also, if you're not already a subscriber, you can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Find me on Instagram at Val K. Martin. That's V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. So you can tag me in your screenshots listening and I can give you a shout out. And there's also a link there in my bio to review the podcast right from your phone. It takes 30 seconds and it really helps me out. It helps people find the show. See you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.